Does it feel like spring yet? Yeah. Has, it, has spring sprung? I don't know if that, well, welcome to Virginia where you can experience all four seasons in four days, you know. Last week we kicked off our current, current sermon series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I, I just want to say it has the opportunity for us to, um, if we take these four practices that we're talking about in these four weeks and we put them into practice in our life, it has the opportunity, the chance, the potential to be one of the most transformative things that we can do in our spiritual walk with God. We're kind of answering a really important question with an out-of-the-box answer. What do I need to do to be the person that God created me to be? And the answer is, that out-of-the-box answer is, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so we're, we're looking at that. Last week, we talked about why we need to incorporate intentional scheduled time for silence and solitude. And so if you missed that message, that was the one that kind of kicked this off. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that because it's going to be a key part and a key building block as we continue on through the next, next few weeks. So this morning, we're going to look at a, at a way in which we slow down. That's not just an example in scripture, but a command that God gives his people that carries with it a principle that we ought to practice. Now, before we do that, I want to take you through a brief history of time, if, if that's okay. I know not everybody likes history, but I think this is going to be really important because we're going to look at the total destruction and dismantling of the slow life. Okay? Are you with me? Are you ready for that? Okay. First problem that came along that started all of this is the sundial. And you may think, what, what in the world? No, yeah, it's the sun. I'm blaming all of this on the sundial. That's why we're too busy. That's why we're rushed and hurried. It's because of the sundial. As far back as 200 BC, the Roman playwright Plautus rants about this newfangled technology called the sundial. And he said, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours. Confounds him too, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions. You know, it's one of those things, it's what humans do, right? God creates something, He creates days, He creates weeks, he creates, you know, time is something that God creates, He puts into motion, but we're the ones who mess it up. We're the ones who take it and we think, oh, we gotta, we gotta squeeze as much as we can out. We, anyway, uh, He had no idea how bad it would get though. In 1370, the first public clock showed up in a town in Germany. An historian named Daniel Borstein called the invention of the clock man's declaration of independence from the sun. And he says later on, only later would it, would, be, would it be revealed that he had accomplished this mastery by putting himself under the dominion of the machine with imperious demands of its own. Any of us that carry our phone and use that as our, as our timepiece or have a watch that we constantly look at and let that dictate our lives, we can, we can appreciate what, what that feels like or the anxiety of getting somewhere on time or being late or being early, all of those kinds of things. Then another invention comes up. So, so us measuring time, that was problematic. Then another invention that, that made things even worse. Can anybody guess what it is? Came in 1879. It's really bright in my eyes right now. The light bulb. You know how terrible electricity is? Electricity is just awful, isn't it? Now, whole cities can stay awake 24 hours a day. How amazing is that? Prior to the light bulb, anybody have a guess as to how long the average person would sleep per night? 11 hours. Can we just, can we just pause for a second and just, just think about that and just think about 
it's daylight savings time Sunday, right? I mean, we lost an hour, you know, everybody's like, oh yeah, spring forward, yeah, yeah, woo. Um, by the way, we should never fall back again. Let's just keep it here, let's just, just, just be done with daylight savings time. Um, 11, can you just think about, if only I had 11 hours of sleep last night. Now we average about seven, which is why we're so exhausted, cranky, and have to mainline coffee all the time, right? I mean, that's a huge, huge difference. Some, some of us are like seven, I can get by on three. You know, it's not necessarily a good thing. Then technology, uh, you know, has come along and it's played a part in pushing us farther and farther into exhaustion. All these labor-saving devices, did you know that it used to, used to be that we thought that we'd only have to work maybe a couple hours a day because of all the time-saving devices that we have now in, in our lives, like washing machines and vacuum cleaners and lawnmowers and microwaves. I mean, they were all supposed to save us hours and hours of time. And they thought, futurists um, 70 years ago, thought that our biggest issue in today's world was going to be too much leisure time. That's, that's what we thought the problem was going to be. I've just, just, thrown, just thrown that out there. Then in 2007, do you know what came on the scene? The iPhone. Yeah, some of you held, held it up. The iPhone. No, this is amazing. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got this computer in our pocket. Now we can streamline everything, and it's going to be great. Instead, we use all that extra time to actually be on, on our phones. The average amount of time that people spend on your phone, most of your phone, this is, this is something that you need to do this week or set it up right now. There's an, there are apps on your phone, and some, for some of you, it's baked into your iOS. It's called Screen Time, all right? And you need to set that up, and you need to find out how much time you're spending on your phone per day, and you will be shocked and dismayed and force yourself to share it with one other person because you will be so embarrassed that you will change this habit in your life. People spend seven hours on their phone per day, and you think, no, there's no way that it caught yet. Now, every time you pick up Facebook and you're on there, oh, it's 30 minutes later, it, it, it all adds up. You need, you need to do that. We have to ruthlessly eliminate the hurry that we fill our time with supported by our technology that's supposed to make everything easier and supposed to make everything better, but we just haven't necessarily been that wise in what we filled that extra time with. And the principle, the next principle that we put into practice that helps deal with this to help ruthlessly eliminate hurry from life is called the Sabbath. Yeah, some of you are familiar with that term. You know what that means. You've been in church since you've heard Sabbath before. But here, here's a couple of things that I'll say as we get into what the Bible has to say about the Sabbath. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 and Matthew chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can kind of flip to a couple of those places or, or, or get it ready. But here, here's what I'll say. God created us to do good work. We are God's workmanship created in him to do good work. Work is not bad. Work is actually a form of worship. And we've talked, we did a whole sermon series on a theology of work, and we talked about how it's meant to be part of our worship. We're going to be working in heaven because we're going to be created. We're going to be doing the things that we're created with purpose with God to do and partnering with him in creation. And so when we use our skills uh, to create and be a part of God's creation, that's an amazing thing. God created that to be a part of us. But work isn't to, intended to be our sole purpose. And activity and filling our schedules with things, that's not meant to bring us our purpose and our meaning and our security. Listen, Jesus worked hard. Uh, Jesus, I would argue, was unbelievably productive. What he did was meaningful and purposeful, and yet he did not live a hurried, worried, anxious, stressed, busy life because he knew the importance of Sabbath. And Sabbath was a weekly practice of Jesus that carries with it a principle we need to adopt if we want to be 
his disciples. And so it should be something that we all are seeking in our lives, and we're going to be checking out these couple passages of Scripture to talk about what the Sabbath is, what it means, what it meant, and what it means for us today. The basic idea of the Sabbath is this, is that each person should set aside a day in each week in which instead of working, they rest and worship God. The first mention of Sabbath rest is actually at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, and this is what we find. This is after God has created in six days, and by the seventh day, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And that word rest there is the word Shabbat, which is where we get Sabbath from. God stopped working to simply be with his creation and to celebrate that creation and that it was enough, that it was good. And this is what God does on the seventh day of existence, of creation. And he has, been, he has instituted that practice from the very beginning. And we see God use this principle as a foundational guide for his people. That's great to work, great to work. Work is a good thing. Work for six days, that's great. But you need to take a day off. In fact, when God sets apart his people from the rest of the nations of the world, he sets apart uh, them by giving them different commands. In fact, he gives them 10 foundational commandments to his people that they are to practice, uh, that they are to develop their law around, and this is for them to be set apart uh, for, for the people. And so in Exodus chapter 20, we find the 10 commandments, and we have some really good ones in there that are really good to follow. Like, don't murder. Uh, sh- shouldn't do that. Follow that 10 commandment, please. Like, that's, that's something that we should all, all, all agree in. Don't cheat on your spouse. That's another great one I highly recommend. Uh, don't worship idols. You know, you know, all of these things that we think, hey, these are great. These, these still kind of hold, hold weight in our lives. These are things that we should, we should follow. A great bunch of foundational laws for the people both then and now. There is that one, though, that's a sticking point for us that we think, oh, this is one that we really need to follow. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, one of God's top 10 commandments was, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And so remember the stop working day. Remember the stop hurrying day. Remember the stop busying day. Remember the stop filling our schedule with meaningless tasks day. Remember the stop anxiety day. Remember the stop stress day. Remember the stop anything day. <laughs> Not anything. And remember it by keeping it holy, which means set apart or sacred, something that we don't mess with. And one of God's top 10 instructions was that we take a day off because he knows that left to our own devices and left to our own um, insecurity in how God has promised to take care of us and what we find in ourselves when we engage in a bunch of extra stuff that we find extra purpose and meaning in things by filling our, our days up with a, with a bunch of tasks, that he knew that we would struggle to seek him with our lives if we don't take time off to rest in the fact that he is our creator and our Lord and King and Savior. And not only is Sabbath on the list, but if you look at, if you're in Exodus chapter 20, if you look at God talking about the Sabbath, you'll see that there's the most instruction within the Ten Commandments that God gives is right there with, with the Sabbath. So, and continuing on, verse 9 through 11, God says this, 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, I, this is not in my notes, but I, I think about this old like preacher preacher joke that's out there. Maybe you've heard this before, but um, you know somebody said, comes along and says, "Well, the, you know the devil's never going to rest. You know, so why why would I?" And then then the response to that is naturally, "Well, maybe the devil isn't the one you should be following the example of, right?" I mean, you, you enjoy that. I, I appreciate that. So th- there you go. You can you you can use that. And so God says, "Sabbath, stop working, take a rest." And worship. And so there are three things I think that come out of this that we need to take on in our lives as we think about the hurry and the busy that we often find ourselves in and what it means to live out the principle of the Sabbath. The first thing I'll say is this is that Sabbath is a commandment. And and I know that's kind of an interesting way of saying that because as Christians we think, hey, we're under a new covenant. We're new, new Testament, Jesus teaching, and he talks about the Sabbath. He talks about it a little, little bit different ways. Are we really under, under the Ten Commandments? Um, we talk a lot about grace and forgiveness and mercy, but God does have some things that he wants us to do or rather not do in, in this case. And, and the idea that, you know, because the Ten Commandments are in the Old Testament and so we shouldn't follow those principles doesn't really help us when we realize that we are not created to work nonstop. We're not created for a constant flurry of activity. We're not created to be busy all the time. And never taking a full day to rest and worship, that's, that's a problem for us. And it creates problems in our lives. Once we are in God's grace, there is a rhythm of life in which he wants us to stay so that we remain spiritually healthy and in relationship with him. And that's where these instructions and commandments and these principles come into play. I don't give my kids rules so they can earn my love. I give my kids rules because I love them and I want them to thrive and I want them to experience love in their lives. And that's how God's commandments work for us. And, and it's really funny. This is the one commandment that I've ever heard anybody have a real sticking point with. Oh, there's a, you know, we don't have to, uh, you know, the Sabbath is from Friday night to Saturday night, and we don't really have to do that, and that's not when we have to. No, I agree with all that. We don't have those rules and stuff incorporated on that, but we are called to participate that in our lives. So here's what I mean. Let's take don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. We're cool with those commandments, right? We're like, yes, we should, we should follow those. We should keep up with those principles. Um, but yet, you know, we, we do the opposite from the Sabbath. And can you, imagine, can you imagine thinking about that in the way that we think about these, these other things? Here's, here's an example. We'll say things like, man, I haven't had a day off in six weeks. I only take 50, you know, 50% of, uh, what, what is it, the stat? We talked about this last night, Renee. 50% of people take their vacation. Or they only take 50% of their vacation. It was a trivia thing. We were at a friend's house. We're playing a game. Now, now, now I can't remember. But we, we talk about, things, hey, I've skipped, my, I've skipped my vacation. Haven't had a vacation in years. You know, haven't gone and done it. Haven't taken a break. Skipped my days off. We'll brag about that kind of stuff because we think that it impresses people with how much we have going on. You know, look at how important I am or whatever it is. We catch our meeting from that. Can you imagine about bragging about or disregarding any of the other commandments? 
I murdered, you know, this many people in my, you know, you know like a little bit of dark humor. I, I get it. I cheated on my wife this many times. It, you know, can, we would never think of saying that or doing those things, and yet we treat the Sabbath a little bit differently. We'll say things like, I've got too much going on, too busy. I don't have time to take a break. I can't say no to things. Right before Jesus declares himself Lord of the Sabbath, and this is in Matthew chapter 11, so Jesus talks about and addresses the Sabbath, and he addresses, he addresses uh, this in, in Matthew, Mark. Um, he, he reinforces that the principle of the Sabbath, it, listen, it's, it's about more than just sitting around and not doing anything, but it is about how we carry ourselves before God, and that the expectation to enjoy this rest with God is meant to refresh and restore us it's not meant to create a long list of rules to observe and say, okay, well, I, I can't do anything from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. No, that's not what it means, um, uh, which is what it had become for many of the people in Jesus' day. But it, but it does mean this, and, and this is what Jesus says right before he gets into this discussion of the Sabbath with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, verse 30, this is, this is one of my favorite passages um, in the Bible. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy or good, and my burden is light. Jesus continues on and talks about the Sabbath, talks about how he is the Lord of the Sabbath and what's the, what that means, means for us. And in Mark chapter 2, Jesus reveals a really important distinction for what the Sabbath has meant for in our lives. He says, the Sabbath was meant and made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it's not necessarily meant to be another religious rite that we tack on to the checklist, you know, that we have to, oh, we have to, you know, sit here and not do this thing. Um, it, it's meant for us to be able to create space in our lives to enjoy God. Remember the Sabbath. Stop your work day so that you can rest in God's work. So that's the first thing. Sabbath is a, is a commandment. It's a principle that we're meant to put into pro practice, and I'm going to give some practical ideas for that here in just a minute. The second thing is this, the Sabbath is blessed. There are three things that God blesses in the creation story, the animals, the people, and the day. Genesis chapter two, verse two, and then three. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And when something has been blessed by God, it means that God has fulfilled it, filled it with his favor. Um, he's giving this his approval. Um, he's making it more than it appears to be simply because he is saying this is set apart and this is important. This is very similar to, uh, for example, the concept of the tithe where God says, hey, take this portion of your money and give it to me. That's, that's what God says. This is something that I've blessed you with. Trust me with this. Trust what I will do with this thing. And even in your life, without 100% of your stuff, 
you're going to be okay. In fact, you're going to be, you're going to be blessed because he's blessing it with his favor. And we're showing that we trust God, that he will take care of us. It's a trust thing. And in the same way, the Sabbath is blessed. When we say, all right, God, I'm going to reserve a portion of my life for you to rest and worship and enjoy you by setting that one day aside that we could be working extra, we could be making more money, or we could be getting more chores done. Um, We could be um, I, I don't know, participating in our hobbies more, whatever it might be, if we take that aside and give it to enjoy, worship the, the, you know, what God has given us in a world that he is going to bless that. And in turn, not just that day, but he's going to bless the other six days of our week. Think about Chick-fil-A. Can we think about, Ch- is that kind of cruel on a Sunday? <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit. It's the only major restaurant in the country that, that, I can, that I can think of that's closed on Sundays. And so you might think, well, Sunday, you know, people after church, they, that's when they really want, you know, holy chicken. And, and, uh, and yet they're closed, and so they're missing out a ton of opportunity on, you know, revenue and, and all, of, all that kind of stuff. You go through and look at how much money Chick-fil-A makes per, you know, you look at McDonald's or something like that, and you think, oh, they pull in more money per year. So look at, look at how much money they make per unit, though, per, per location, per store. It's not even close. McDonald's is almost $3 million uh, per, per store. Chick-fil-A is, is almost $5 million per, per store. And yet they're close. You know, how, you know, you might think, oh, it's because they don't work on Sundays, and so God is blessing them more in McDonald's. No, I'm not, that's not where I'm headed with, with that. What, what I'm saying is it, it helps us to see a difference in what our expectation might be. It's like, oh, no, a flurry of activity is actually healthier for, for me, you know, more. It creates more. No, it doesn't. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, actually, what, what makes it work, I think, is the experience is a lot better. No, the sermon's not going to be about Chick-fil-A and McDonald's. Um, but it's simply there. I mean, they take a day off because um, they want their employees to be able to rest and be able to worship, be able to spend time with family, be able to do these things. Um, my point is not to say that we should take off more time so that we can get rich. My point is that God has blessed the Sabbath day, and us participating in it is not going to be a net negative in our life. It's going to be a more positive in our life, and, and our life is going to be better as a result of it. The third thing I'll mention is that the Sabbath is holy. Um, God blessed the Sabbath and called it holy. It's meant to be different. It's meant to be set apart and serve as a reminder that our work is not what supplies our need. It's not what supplies our purpose. It's not what supplies our meaning. God does those things. Uh, in, in the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer talks a bit about this, and he says, how could a day be called holy? This would have been jarring to the original audience. In the ancient Near East, the gods were found in the world of space, not time. They were found in a holy temple, or a holy city, or a mountain, or a shrine. But this God, the one true creator God, is not found in a place, but in time, in a day. If you want to go and meet with this God, you don't have to make a pilgrimage to Mecca or Stonehenge. You just have to set aside a day of the week to Sabbath, stop long enough to experience him. And it's about a rhythm of worship that we enter into when we practice this principle in our lives. And I just want you to consider and and think about this in terms of what it can mean for us, okay? Um, and maybe, maybe some of you practice Sabbath already. So you've got every week, you've got the set time, whatever, the, maybe it's a full day, maybe it's half a day, maybe it's Friday, maybe it's Saturday, Sunday, you know, what, whatever day it is. Maybe you've got a day off midweek. Maybe you already anticipate this. 
But the excitement, the anticipation of turning everything else off so you can focus on God and the blessing of your life, that, that, um, that holy Sabbath and what, what that can mean for how we experience each and every week that we have. Um, think, about, think about how we observe a holiday like Christmas or Easter. What do we, Christmas is my favorite time of year. Why? Because we celebrate. Everybody's in a, everybody's in a good mood. That's probably not true. Um, you know, people are in a different mood. They're interacting differently with people. You get special food, you know, do special activities, all those kinds of things. Presents are amazing. We gear up for it. We plan out the day in advance. We do everything we can to make it special. We approach it with anticipation. The Sabbath could be just like that for us every week. A, a, a holiday, a holy day, a holiday, a holiday, a holy day that we set apart with, with God, a once a week celebration of all that is good in God's world. And you think about the Jews who are coming out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt who weren't getting a day off, who weren't getting a break, where the Ten Commandments were given to them as a weekly reminder of what God for, did for them and a chance to praise for him and built into that, you know, is, is this observation of resting before him and his provision. And we think about our enslavement by choice. You know, our nonstop hustle is a type of voluntary enslavement to our watches, to our calendars, to our schedules, to the stuff that we think fulfills us, the pressure of making ends meet. And yet we have the same opportunity, have this weekly reminder that we are free from all of those things in our life, that we are free and liberated with grace and mercy from our sin, from the busyness of life. It's a reminder for us as Christians of the freedom from the bondage of sin and darkness. It's holy and there's a reason to worship. So let me, let me, give, you, let me give you some ideas, some practical ways to think about the Sabbath in our lives and think of it like a holiday every week. Um, whatever that looks like for you. Like I said, half a day, full day, any day. Key word is here, here is practicing it and scheduling it in our life. Just like silence and solitude, we've got to create space for this. You make the rules, but, but think, think about a day, think about a time where you think to yourself, my, my goal is to put on my most comfortable clothes. Get out the stretchy pants. It's time for the sweatpants. So some of us are, you know, like working from home is like, I got plenty of those. You know, I, I've, I've, I've enjoyed that. Eat leftovers, eat ice cream in bed, let the, maybe, I mean, depending on how mess you are, let the laundry sit in the hamper. It's not a day for chores. Just, just think, think about the potential for what this day could be for you each week. Practice being with your family without having to have something else entertain you. No media, no TV, no technology, like no technology. I, I, that might seem like an anxiety-filling thought for, you, for some of us. But turning our phone off for a set period of time and being, you know, that's okay to do. I just want to let you have permission to do that. You have permission to at some point in your week to not be available to anything and everything. No multitasking and rest and let God be enough. Rest in his blessing. Rest in the set apartness of our lives within him. Invite some friends over, hang out, enjoy each other's company. But the goal is to not stress or not create busy work, all of those kinds of things. And all the while, 
this is part of our worship of God, is enjoying those things that he created us to enjoy with, with him. This is about worship. And so, so spend some time in that. Let some worship music play. Sing songs. Make art. Read scripture. Someone lead a time of talking, you know, about what everyone is thankful for. Um, spend some time resting in who God is. If you're married and have kids at home, send the kids to bed early so they can rest more than they do. And also, it gives the two of you more time together. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. God is good. And he created us to be able to enjoy his goodness. But if we don't take the time to do that and create the space in our life, we're going to miss out on the perspective with which he wants us to see the rest of our days. I mean, that's, that's what the Sabbath could look like for us. It could be the holiday that we have every week. And so why in the world would we skip it? Um, why, why would we not put this into practice? Well, I've got, you know, who has time for that, right, is what we say. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry if we want to be the person that God created us to be. It's the oldest spiritual discipline in the book. You don't have to reinvent it. You just have to try it. Google some ideas on how to practice it. Put it in your schedule once a week for the next, let's say, four weeks. I want to challenge you to do that. Create a time for Sabbath in your life. It may be hard to find space for that, but, but I'm going to tell you it will change your life if you do. Be obedient to God's command to have this blessed and holy day within, within your week. However you practice that, set, set the time aside and enjoy him and enjoy the life that he is desiring to live with you. Let's pray. God, this is, this is probably one of the toughest things for us to give ourselves permission for, and so we ask that you convict us and encourage us through your Holy Spirit to see how we might put Sabbath into practice, this principle of resting and enjoying and worshiping you. God, we've got a lot of things pulling on us uh, that would tell us that, that we, need to, we need to do something else, maybe something else that we find more meaningful or purposeful, just because we're addicted to that activity um, and that feeling that we have to make it happen. And yet, God, this is a moment for us to recognize and rest in the fact that you're the one who makes it happen in us and through us. God, help us to learn what it means to rest in your provision, to acknowledge and believe your promises that you will take care of us. And God, help us to, to create that space just to acknowledge that you are sovereign, you are Lord, you are creator of, of our lives, that you are more important than anything else that we have going on. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name, we pray, amen.